You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Hello, and welcome to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. Once again, this is Garrett Ashley Mullet, coming to you from Greeley, Colorado, This is episode 45 of season 3, episode 110 of this podcast. It is May 3rd, 2021, a Monday, in fact. Today we're going to talk about two different topics in conjunction and juxtaposition against one another. And I want you to think along with me about the compare and contrast of how two competing worldviews are wrestling with problems as they see them. In the first case, you have the United States of America grappling with what to do about men who pretend to be women or claim they are women or think they are women with all the help in the world from a confused leftist culture around them which affirms their delusion, and tells them, yes, indeed, you are a woman. If you think you're a woman, you're a woman. Shouts down anybody who begs to differ. Biological males is, I'm sure, in somebody's listing, a hate crime waiting to happen if you say it. If you call somebody a biological male when they identify as a psychological female, or I don't know what you would call that, a transgendered person who is one gender, but now wants to be identified, wants to live as, wants to be thought of, wants to be treated with the privileges of both a man and a woman, not just a woman. What's the difference in a world which tells you them that gender is a social construct, sexuality is fluid, be whatever you want to be, In the one case, we have America trying to grapple with what to do when biological males want to play in women's sports, when biological boys want to play in girls' sports. So that's the first story. The second story is what the Chinese are going to do about the Internet. Why would they want to do something about the Internet? What? Is the problem with the current internet that we have right now? Well, the problem is that there's too much freedom. There's too much ability on the part of the world to say things which are mean, which are critical of the Chinese Communist Party and the way that it treats its people and the way that it relates to territories surrounding it, the way that it relates to, let's say, the coronavirus Pandemic, plandemic, epidemic, feardemic, however you want to call it. The Chinese Communist Party identifies as a benevolent regime. And if you say that it is not, in fact, a benevolent regime, but is rather a totalitarian, and tyrannical, and oppressive regime, the Chinese Communist Party would like to control your ability to communicate on the internet, to make transactions on the internet, to have commercial business that is profitable, that is successful on the internet, 
to share information on the internet. Basically, anything you would want to do with the internet, they want to be able to keep you from being able to do it because they want to take over the internet. So on the one hand, you have a story from the Daily Wire. On the other hand, you have a story from the Epoch Times. And I'm going to read through some highlights from the one and then the other. And we're going to talk about these two stories, these two narratives, these two mm, vignettes, shall we? These two insights into the soul of the leading countries, the leading superpowers now in the world in the year 2021. First off from the Daily Wire, Ron DeSantis to sign bill banning biological males from competing in girls' sports. This article was published yesterday at thedailywire.com. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, a Republican, announced in an interview late last week that he will sign a bill banning biological males from competing in girls' sports. DeSantis made the announcement during a town hall event with Fox News host Laura Ingram. Quote, Governor DeSantis, a bill of a similar nature is about to cross your desk, end quote, Ingram said. Are you going to sign it? Quote, oh, yes, we're going to protect our girls, DeSantis said. I have a four-year-old daughter and a one-year-old daughter, and they're very athletic, and we want to have opportunities for our girls. They deserve an even playing field, and that's what we're going to do with what Mississippi did, with what Florida did, and I know what other states are going to do, so I look forward to being able to sign that into law, end quote. I'll include a link to this piece in the description for this podcast. You can check it out for yourself. You can watch a clip from the article. They have a clip from Fox News with Laura Ingram interviewing not just the governor of Florida, but the governor of Texas and some other governors as well. But it's interesting to me that we are putting Republican governors on the spot now asking what they think of legislation that would protect women's sports, that would protect girls' sports. And the way that the Republican Party and conservatives in the mainstream have decided they want to highlight this conflict is by emphasizing how unfair it is to biological females to have to compete with biological males in sports for scholarships. This doesn't have as much to do with right and wrong from a practical standpoint as the conservatives see it. It's about being fair to women. The argument goes like this. Men, biologically, have denser bone matter, have more muscle matter, are stronger, faster, have more endurance than women. Therefore, it's not fair to have men competing against women just because men are claiming that they identify as a woman trapped in a man's body. It's not fair to women to have to compete with a man because men are physically stronger. So that is to say that men are not equal with women physically. Objectively, consistently, if you put even the lowest tier athlete 
male in a competition with women, with female athletes, the male is going to dominate. He's going to take first place in that race. He's going to take first place in the wrestling competition. He's going to take first place in the MMA championship. He's going to take first place in whatever sport he's playing against women. I'm reminded in the New Testament of how men, husbands rather, not men in the general, but all husbands are men. So it is men. Not all men are husbands, but all husbands are men. Men who are husbands are charged to give honor to their wives as the weaker vessel. And what this means precisely is that you're supposed to be considerate of the fact that women are physically weaker than you are and that you as a man, as the husband, as the head of your household, are to be the protector, the provider, sometimes of the woman against yourself. You're supposed to protect the woman from yourself. You don't use your strength to oppress your wife. You don't use your strength to abuse your wife. You use your strength to give honor to your wife, to love her, to cherish her, to protect her, to provide for her, to lead her. Now that's within the context of the design that God laid out in Genesis from the beginning. He created them male and female in his image. He created them. That is part of how God chose to honor himself, to glorify himself, is by making man in his image and creating this picture of harmony and submission and equality. Men and women are equal in the sense that they have equal value and worth in God's eyes. They're created in his image. Male and female, he created them. In his image, he created them. Women are created in God's image. Men are created in God's image. But that doesn't mean that they're uniform. That doesn't mean that there is no difference. There is no distinction. There's no meaningful distinction. I remember having a very crude conversation or a conversation that shouldn't have been crude, but it turned very crude in high school with an middle-aged lady that went to First Baptist Church in Hillsboro, Ohio. The topic turned at some point to leadership in the church and should women be allowed to be pastors, overseers, deacons, etc., etc. And I argued very simply and not in a disrespectful way, but in a very even-handed and direct way that Paul, when he gives qualifications for overseers and deacons to Timothy and to Titus in those two New Testament epistles which bear their names, when Paul gave instructions and qualifications for how you can know who should and should not be an overseer or a deacon in Christ's church, he said they must be the husband of one wife. That is not a generic, gender-neutral term. That is not to say that a woman can be the wife of one husband and she can be qualified to be an overseer or a deacon. No, the qualifications for an overseer and a deacon are explicitly male-centric. And this is not because men were the ones who wrote 
the books of the Bible, and they were being chauvinists, and they were being selfish, and they were keeping women down and oppressing them. No, no, little Marxists. This is not a story of oppressor versus oppressed. This is a story of protectors and protected. This is a story of God's created order and who he created to exercise dominion within the home, to exercise leadership in the family. And the church is supposed to be a picture of God's family, what God institutes in the family and the household, where a husband exercises headship and leadership over his wife, also sees an expression in the church where the overseers and the deacons are exercising leadership in the church. It wouldn't make sense for the wife to be submissive to her husband at home, and yet in the church she walks in and she's the one calling the shots, not only over her husband, but also over other women's husbands. That wouldn't make sense. And that's part of why Paul says at one point in the New Testament, I do not permit a woman to have authority over man, to teach or to have authority over a man. Rather, she is to keep silent. He says at another point that she should ask her husband questions when she gets home. In other words, women walking into the church and asking questions that are designed to put men on the spot and coerce them and goad them into a certain direction that the women in the church think needs to be taken is not appropriate. That's not respectful. That's a form of very clever nagging. I'm going to ask questions of this pastor this overseer, this deacon in front of everybody so as to embarrass them, so as to make them go the direction that I want them to go so that at the end of the day, it is not actually they who are leading the church. It is this woman who is leading the church and everybody knows it. Everybody knows who wears the pants in the family in that congregation. It is the matriarch who's decided that she wants to leave her rightful place and she wants to exercise headship and dominion. So you have Republican governors now dancing around this issue, and they know that their base, Republican voters, are comprised to a great extent by theological conservatives, not just political conservatives, not just fiscal conservatives, but theological conservatives who, call me old-fashioned, still believe in the Bible, still believe that God created us in his image, male and female, he created us, they still believe that there are two genders. There are not 95. There are not 35. There are not even three. There are two genders, male and female. He created them. In the beginning, he created them. In his image, he created them. So what is it that we say in a lot of traditional marriage vows? What God has joined together, let no man tear asunder. That's an, another way you could look at the whole topic of gender. God has put together a male in the womb. He's put together a female in the womb. They are biological male and female. He created them. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so Republican governors know they have to take a stance on this issue. Christy Nome, governor of South Dakota, vetoing a bill that was put on her desk by the South Dakota legislature that would have protected women's sports, girls' sports, from biological males competing. Governor Nome 
said flat out that she would veto that legislation if it wasn't reworded. She wanted it reworded, and the timing was just entirely too suspicious as far as I was concerned, coinciding with a threat from the NCAA to file suit or to pull sports, college sports, from the state of South Dakota. You may not know this, but in a lot of western states that are sparsely populated, that don't have quite enough population, quite enough local potential audience to support a major professional sports team, college sports are a big, big deal. And in states like my home state of Montana, where there aren't necessarily enough college teams, let's say in the eastern part of the state, to support local viewership, a big audience, a big stadium, a big to-do, high school sports are a big deal. And so what do you have going on when the NCAA threatens a smaller rural western state in terms of population, threaten to pull their support or their affiliation, their participation in college sports if a bill is signed into law, if biological males are banned from participating in women's sports, you have a very real threat to what is probably one of the only sources of entertainment that brings a community together in the West. In Eastern Montana, you wouldn't believe how far high school teams high school sports, families were willing to travel to play against rival teams. We're talking about hours and hours and hours regularly to fight some team across the state or in another state because there just aren't enough teams close by to have a sufficiently sized league. So all the more so with college teams in South Dakota, North Dakota, Montana, Wyoming, etc. It was no mystery to me when Nome was threatened, when South Dakota was threatened by the NCAA. It was no mystery to me what was on the line. And it was no mystery to Governor Nome either. And as brave as she has been in speaking and giving rhetoric to conservative causes for the past couple of years, she's been an excellent mouthpiece for conservative ideas and for sounding very tough, it seemed to me that she folded when it came to that legislation. She vetoed the bill because, as she told Tucker Carlson on his program, the legislation as it was worded would have led to litigation that they could not win. They would have ended up in court, tied up in court, costly, embarrassing, and ultimately fruitless, not getting the protection for women's sports that the bill was aspiring and striving to provide. And so she was going to veto the legislation because she wasn't willing to have that fight. Now you have a headline on the Daily Wire, Ron DeSantis to sign bill banning biological males from competing in girls' sports. You have Texas signaling that they would like to see similar legislation signed into law. Governor Abbott of Texas saying they want to. He wants to sound like Texas is the leader in this. Of course, Texas is always the leader in everything. Just ask them. 
They're always the biggest and the best in any room. Everything's bigger in Texas, especially the egos. But Florida, Texas, Mississippi, other states with Republican governors, with legislatures that have a spine and have some courage and don't just wait for permission from the broader, wider culture, are going to sign legislation, which shouldn't even need to be signed, saying that local governments, local school districts, local leagues, have cover to bar biological males from playing women's sports. This is going to be an issue for some time, and whether Republicans hold the line makes all the difference in the world which way it goes. It's our fight to lose, as most fights are, if we fold and we cave and we're embarrassed of the moral nature, the spiritual nature of the conflict, if we're only wanting to highlight the topic on the terms of the left and to use their language, their verbiage to plead our case, then I don't know that we can win this and we can hold out because they will just change the definition of terms and they will just keep on applying pressure and threats until our practical arguments sound rather silly. This is not a principled fight for Republicans who say this is just unfair to girls. I don't think, not when you're concealing your true reason, which in my case anyways, and I think for a lot of theological conservatives, is God said he created them in the beginning, male and female, period. Not she-male and he-female, <laughs> male and female. Part of the curse originally was that God said to Eve, your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. In other words, part of the effect of the curse is not just thorns and thistles and ground that resists the man's efforts to plant seeds in it, but also from an emotional, from a psychological, from a social, from a relational, familial standpoint, trying to exercise leadership in the home is going to be difficult because in all too many cases, the wife is going to vie for headship. She's going to nag and cajole and needle her husband until he does what she wants. He's going to say, this is what we're doing. She might just say, not on your life. We'll see about that. You go sleep on the couch. You've been a bad boy. You're grounded. So now we have this whole women's suffrage, feminism, origin story morphing into confusion about whether there is such a thing as male and female. Gender neutral terms replacing mother and father because we wouldn't want to imply that there's a difference between mothers and fathers. Well, let me tell you right now, there is a difference between mothers and fathers, objectively. Gender is not a social construct, but you saying that a man can actually be a woman through surgery, through hormone therapy, through a change in wardrobe, and some preferred pronouns, that is a social construct. And that's a very perverse, gross, abominable social construct as far as God is concerned. He says as much in his law in the Old Testament. Now, as Christians, we don't live under the law, but we also don't live in lawlessness. 
It's not legalism if you say, God is opposed to this, and I love God, and so therefore I must be opposed to this as well. In fact, what is said about Jesus is that he loved what was good and he hated iniquity. He hated all unrighteousness. That's how he was able to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins, is that he was sinless. He lived a perfect sinless life. He was tempted in all ways as we are, and yet was without sin. And because he died in our place as a perfect, blemishless lamb, we are made right with God. So as Christians, we don't give license to wickedness. We call for repentance. And if we are familiar at all, even just a little bit, with the New Testament church, with the Old Testament saints and prophets, God's people throughout the book from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, if we're familiar with church history, we know that we know that we know that calls for repentance to a wicked culture in wicked times lead to persecution. So now is a time for deciding, are we going to testify to God's truth? Are we going to call for repentance because we love these people who are dead in their sins? Or are we going to affirm their sin and say, that's quite all right. Don't change a thing. You're perfect just the way you are. And so make God out to be a liar. If we say we are without sin, then we are liars. The truth is not in us. In fact, we make God out to be a liar as well because he has said in no uncertain terms that we are dead in our trespasses apart from Christ. But if we're in Christ, we don't go on pretending at grace. Even as we sin, that grace might abound all the more. We repent. We turn away. By God's grace, we have some success in that. And we're honest about that. We don't throw parades to celebrate our degeneracy. So that's America. That's Ron DeSantis to sign bill banning biological males from competing in girls' sports. And with the time we have left, let's look at this article from the Epoch Times by Nicole Howe and Kathy He. Also published May 2nd, 2021. Filed under Chinese regime. Chinese leader Xi Jinping personally directed the communist regime to focus its efforts to control the global internet, displacing the influential role of the United States, according to internal government documents recently obtained by the Epoch Times. In a January 2017 speech, Xi said the power to control the internet had become the new focal point of China's national strategic contest and singled out the United States as a rival force standing in the way of the regime's ambitions. The ultimate goal was for the Chinese Communist Party to control all content on the global internet so the regime could wield what Xi described as discourse power over communications and discussions on the world stage. Xi articulated a vision of using technology to rule the internet to achieve total control over every part of the online ecosystem, over applications, content, quality, capital, and manpower. That is pretty much everything. Quote, his remarks were made at the fourth leadership meeting of the regime's top internet regulator, the Central Cyberspace Affairs Commission, in Beijing on January 4th, 2017, and detailed in internal documents issued by the Liaoning Provincial Government in China's southeast. The statements confirm efforts made by Beijing in the past few years to promote its own authoritarian version of the internet as a model for the world. In another speech given in April 2016, detailed in an internal document by the 
Anshan city government in Laoning province. Xi confidently proclaimed that in the struggle to control the internet, the CCP has transformed from playing passive defense to playing both attack and defense at the same time. Having successfully built the world's most sprawling and sophisticated online censorship and surveillance apparatus known as the Great Firewall, the CCP under Xi is turning outwards, championing a Chinese internet whose values run counter to the open model advocated by the West. Rather than prioritizing the free flow of information, the CCP system centers on giving the state the ability to censor, spy on, and control internet data. Now, we'll stop right there. You can read this article as well in the link provided in the description for this podcast episode. And I would encourage you to do so. Read the whole thing because it goes into more detail. I read maybe the first third of the piece. But before I talk more about what the Chinese are trying to do here, I'd like to highlight another headline I saw here recently saying that the Epoch Times had its press credentials revoked by Congress. Now, I don't know precisely who it is that gets to make that determination. I find it interesting that, if true, that did not happen when Republicans still had some control of Congress. Now that Democrats have the White House and the House and the Senate, the Epoch Times is going to be delegitimated. Why is that? Because the Epoch Times has been favorable and its coverage of President Trump, former President Trump, has been very critical of current President Joe Biden and the Democrats. The Epoch Times is an actual journalist outlet, and so it is not going to just parrot uncritically the echo chamber mentality of the rest of the mainstream media. And it actually does a credible job. And there's nothing which scares the Democrats so much as the truth about what they do and what they intend getting out. The worst thing for their chances of accomplishing their agenda, the worst thing is that the American public would find out what they're up to and that people would stop voting for them, stop supporting them, would stop donating to them, would stop repeating uncritically their talking points, would stop being afraid of them. Knowledge is power. And if the Epoch Times is helping us to understand what's behind the curtain in the Democrat machine, that will empower and embolden opposition to the Democrat Party and the Democrat Party's agenda. But it's interesting to me that one of the main features of the Epoch Times is that it originates as a news force in Hong Kong, I do believe. Practitioners of some odd religious sect had a newspaper and they were critical of the Chinese Communist Party and they ended up coming to America in part, I think, because they realized if there's going to be a hope of resisting the Chinese Communist Party and its oppressive regime, its oppressive tactics, persecuting this religious sect, persecuting all dissidents, it must come from America. We don't want to know or think about what the Chinese Communist Party does to religious and political dissidents and critics and all who stand in the way 
of their vision. We don't want to think about rumors of organ harvesting from persons who have criticized the government. We don't want to think about the awful, horrible, twisted, immoral, evil things that the Chinese Communist Party does to those who stand in its way. But the Epoch Times wants us to resist Chinese communist aggression at home and abroad. And so they're trying to expose these things. The Democratic Party doesn't want it getting out, just how cozy they've been with the communists in China, just like the Democrat Party hasn't wanted it advertised how cozy they were with socialists and communists for the past hundred years. Socialists and communists find a ready home in the Democrat Party in the United States of America. And when they see their brothers in arms, their comrades abroad, they more often than not sit down with a firm handshake and have a meal and talk about how they're going to work together to accomplish a victory for the proletariat over and against the bourgeoisie. So you have China here, according to the Epoch Times, reporting by the Epoch Times, China trying to control the internet, trying to control what you can say, what you can't say, what you can read, what you can't read, what you can hear, what you can't hear, trying to control the flow of information, trying to control commerce, trying to control coordination, who can do business, who can't do business, who can have press credentials, probably. What are the odds that a CCP-controlled internet is going to allow you to read the Epoch Times? I would say pretty low. I'll bet you that CCP Congress doesn't give the Epoch Times press credentials either, just like the Democrat Party in America. But it's something to note here, and this is part of why the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show is what it is, why I say in my tagline, I want to talk about everything, is that if we get too focused, too much tunnel vision on one thing at a time, sometimes we miss the big picture here. But let's zoom out a little bit and consider the global geopolitical struggle for who will lead the world in the 21st century and on. And I'm talking about more than just your lifetime. You might be thinking you're going to be 110 years old. And by that time, if the Chinese have taken over, what's it to you? What's it to you is that you're going to watch your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren having to goose-step along to whatever the communists say has to be the order of business for today. You're going to see all of the same oppression and repression that the Chinese have hoisted upon their own people and anybody within their grasp, anybody who was close enough to reach out and touch and mess with, you're going to see that same style of coercion, threatening, intimidation, manipulation, bullying, suppression hoisted upon your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren if you live that long. Your last days, the last days of your long life, should God bless you with long life, will be very sad indeed as you see your descendants crushed underfoot of a giant red boot 
Now, I say that and I instantly imagine some very cynical people saying, this isn't the 1950s anymore. Enough with the Red Scare business. We crushed the Soviet Union. We'll crush the communist Chinese as well. No need for McCarthyism here, claiming you've got a list of communists who've infiltrated various sectors of American public life. No, no. We've been down that road. We don't want to hear about it anymore. Well, the problem with McCarthyism is that he wasn't all wrong, even if he wasn't all right. There were communists, or have been communists, and communist sympathizers in the West ever since there's been communists anywhere. The New York Times and other outlets provided cover for Soviet atrocities. They visited the Soviet Union and they took a guided tour to whatever the Soviet Union's party bosses wanted them to see, and they didn't see what they weren't supposed to see. And they came back, and because they loved the ideas of communism, they loved that utopian ideal so much, they provided cover for Soviet atrocities and spoke glowingly of how wonderful Stalin was, how wonderful the Soviet Union was. Mao had devotees in the Obama White House, people who carried around his little red book of sayings. Mao was an extremely evil man, extremely evil. You might become a believer in total depravity if you read a biography of Mao Zedong. He was a very evil man. And what the Chinese Communist Party is doing to try and control the internet is they are unleashing armies of mercenary trolls to go and bully free speech on the internet, even in the West, to try and push and manipulate our political process and our social public discourse and our marketplace of ideas so that we don't say the things that in their country they handled about 100 years ago with a cultural revolution vis-a-vis Mao Zedong. They have the same tactics refined over a century now ready to play out in virtual space on the digital scene. And it's going to come down to people like LeBron James, who claimed that America is this racist, oppressive country where you can't even walk out your front door while being black without getting murdered by the police and white people. And yet, He praises the Chinese Communist Party and he refuses to criticize the Chinese Communist Party when it separates weaker husbands from their wives and has chaperones vis-a-vis Chinese Communist men watching over, staying with, sleeping in the same bed as weaker women as a way of humiliating, demoralizing, destroying the Uyghurs as a people. You have the Uyghurs being tortured, indoctrinated, re-educated in camps. You also have their women, their wives, being taken by Chinese communist men as a way of asserting dominance over the weaker people, as a way of destroying them as a people, as a way of eliminating the weaker Muslim population. You have Christians in China for a very long time being persecuted, having to worship God, preach the gospel, teach, make disciples underground. Because if you do so above ground, 
in a state-approved church, you're not really preaching the gospel. You're not really making disciples of Christ. You're making disciples of Mao Zedong. You're making disciples of communism because they've modified the gospel message so that it promotes the Chinese Communist Party plan. And so in China, they're talking about how to take over the internet. And if you can take over the internet, you can take over the world. If you can control what people in the West can say and cannot say, you can control what people in the West think and don't think, what they do and they don't do. And then you've got the whole world in your hands. There is not a will to fight this in America so much as there is a will to quibble about biological males and whether they should be allowed to compete for scholarships that are meant for women, college scholarships. We're in such a mess, and we're ripe for judgment. And this is what it will look like. It'll look like a Republican wringing his hands, trying to decide whether the costs outweigh the benefits standing on principle, being clear about his principles, whether or not he should stand up to the woke mob and the transgender male who's threatening to punch his face in if you don't talk to him like a lady. And before you know it, while everybody's distracted with that nonsense, an army of Chinese hackers come in and take over your business They do that by taking over your public space for your business. That's a nice business you got there. It'd be a trouble and a shame if all of a sudden you weren't able to advertise for it on Facebook, on Google, on YouTube, on LinkedIn. All we've got to do is place people with the right connections, with the right profile, with the right button-pushing capabilities in all the right companies So that if you say the thing that we don't want you to say, we make up some allegation about you, we accuse you of thought crimes and political incorrectness, and all of a sudden you're canceled. Inside the church, outside the church, it doesn't matter. We just find the right button to push, we cook up the evidence, we distribute it on the internet, and we get you canceled, we get you destroyed. We play out Mao's cultural revolution in a digital space with an army of bots and trolls and useful idiots. And the Republicans, meanwhile, will add up the dollars and cents if all they are is fiscal conservatives, and they'll figure out which way the wind blows today and whether they really feel like going to court with the NCAA. They'll figure out whether they think they can win re-election in their state or whether they can take a higher office, whether they have a shot at the presidency in 2024. If they take this position and they articulate it with these words, And only by the grace of God do we come out of this with our country intact in some recognizable fashion, not as a subordinate to China. Now, as a final note, and then I've got to go, someone recently said to me that Christianity is on the rise in China and that China might be a majority Christian nation before we know it. Well, that's very fine. And If and when that happens and the Chinese Christians overthrow the Chinese Communist Party and they take their country down a road that honors God instead of, in the most evil ways, oppressing people made in his image, crushing them underfoot, 
punishing them for honest dialogue, making false accusations against anybody who stands in their way. Great. If that happens, great. That doesn't mean that we can afford to wait for it to happen or that we can become complacent as though it's no big deal if America falls and China takes over the world because China is going to be a majority Christian nation. Look how great the Christians are in China. They're much better Christians than we are, I'm told. I don't know what that's based on. It might be based on nothing more than the current anti-white, woke brand of Christianity, which is circulating increasingly on radio, in print, in all forms of media. Now, white Christians are not necessarily any better than brown, black, yellow, red Christians, but we're certainly not inherently less either. So how about we let the Chinese Christian church grow as it will, and God bless them, and we pray for them, and we get to work here being good stewards of the country that we have, by God's grace, still some representation in, before it's too late. Or else judgment comes, and we have some right, some reasonable expectation of suffering needlessly, like a fool who sees trouble coming and keeps on going. Let's call for repentance, because yes, there is an eternal consequence. There is a spiritual significance to not being repentant, but there's also a practical. And God uses the practical motivators very often. It is not all just pie in the sky, ivory tower, eternal damnation or salvation. It is also practical consequences in the here and now. And that is okay for us to be motivated by that because God uses those as motivators throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Don't let the Chinese take over the internet and don't let the transgender movement and the feminists control the narrative on sports in this country. Those are the two big ideas. With all that said, thank you for listening. As always, reach out if you have any comments, questions, concerns, objections, complaints, additional thoughts. But for now, that's all I've got. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com.